on the way, homers. It's Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening into another episode. Today's episode is awesome. I had a great conversation with our guests today. Before I do a little bit of an intro to our guests, I should tell you this podcast is brought to you by the good people at Blue Door that are doing life-saving work, preventing and ending homelessness across the top of the GTA, York, Peel, and Durham, and maybe soon to be across the country with the construction social enterprise construct we will see and as well in partnership with the canadian alliance and homelessness they do so much uh, they are the voice of the nation when it comes to homelessness uh you know feeling the pulse of what's happening getting in the ear of government pushing the government bringing solutions to the government on how we can push through uh the situation we find ourselves in uh, with so many people experiencing homelessness across the country. They do great work. They do a lot of training as well. You can become a Built for Zero community, and you should, if you are not already, check out their website at caeh.ca. If you want to find out about the good work at Blue Door, go to bluedoor.ca. Both of those organizations would welcome your support and help in any way uh, you are able. And today's guest, I had a great conversation uh, with today's guest. I spoke with uh, Alan Reeser McDowell. He's the executive director at Matthew House. And Matthew House is an organization in Ottawa that works with refugee claimants. Uh, we have about 92,000 refugee claimants that, that come into Canada. And that number's slowed down just a little bit with some changes uh, as of uh, some recent changes that have been made. Um, and we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people planning to come into this country. And it's wonderful news because we need new Canadians to come in. There's great opportunities here, but there's some big challenges with that. And Alan and I talk about that. We talk about how when someone uh, comes into the country and once they land here, the process for them moving forward so they don't slide into homelessness uh, is a very tricky one and the, the resources really aren't there to support people in moving forward. Alan talks about work at Matthew House and, and if they scale that up 10 times to its size, they'd probably meet the need uh, only in Ottawa and really he talks about there's both an economic argument in running these types of programs like Matthew House because within five months, not only does it save up a lot of money with the process that they do, uh, people are on their feet, they're housed, they're working, they're moving forward, right? And and, and so, you know, they're contributing and, and to the economy and pushing things forward. Uh, but this doesn't happen. So many times what happens, and I, I spoke from my experience, even with my team at Blue Door, when we have um, refugee claimants coming in and we don't have the resources or the knowledge or experience uh, in our sector to actually support those individuals because it's a little different than what we see day to day with community uh, homelessness. And we don't have those resources and then people end up in the shelter system for six months to a year. They're, and, and then their process, their claim can fall apart and that could be a slippery slope for years and years to come. Uh, it's a great conversation. One of the that is on the minds of so many Canadians as we welcome so many newcomers. We, uh, you know, our labor force, we need so many people to come in. We have so many opportunities here, uh, but the process has to be better defined. We need to invest in that process. We need to invest in organizations like Matthew House to grow that across the country. So we're supporting uh, refugee claimants and new Canadians coming in with housing, with employment, with health services, all those pieces so they thrive coming into the country. It's a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. 
Alan, we ask the same question of all our guests that come on the show because it's a little different for everyone. And that question is, what does home mean to you? Yeah, the words that come to mind for me, and especially when I think about the work that we do at Matthew House, is welcome, safety, uh, dignity, comfort, stability. And I would also say this is a bit of a longer than one word, but with people who have your best interests in mind surrounding you. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And I love that. And I love also that you included the word dignity in there, because quite often uh, I find anyways across our, uh, our country, sometimes we have that good enough philosophy where, you know, we're like, all right, we've got to do something. Let's just get a better sleeping bag or a better tent, or let's just any old roof and, and four walls will yeah. do. But then you mentioned that word dignity, and that's so important. Dig is not just housing, it's dignified housing. So thank you uh, for that. We always like to learn a little bit more about our guests. If you could talk just a little bit about your journey uh, into the sector, uh, ending with your time at uh, Matthew House, uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'm sure like many of your guests, sometimes it's quite meandering. So I grew up uh, north of Toronto and work-wise for me early on was very um, non-related to the work of Matthias in many ways. I was mowing lawns, uh, working at my grandma's cafe in a farmer's market, worked in a deli and sort of like a chicken and egg stand for a long time. For many years, worked on a farm picking sweet corn and driving truck, did some demo and construction, sold knives. So it was a, <laughs> a lot of really random things uh, for the first sort of 20 years of my life. And then I ended up getting interested in teaching. And But instead of going to teacher's college, decided I would try out uh, working in a school as a teaching assistant and realized very quickly that the, I guess you could say the the schedule and bells ringing at very specific times didn't quite work with my personality. So uh, ended up uh, going a different direction and um, ended up more in kind of international development work and started out, I guess you could say with university, um, a big introduction to that world was through uh, some semesters that I spent abroad as part of my university where I spent like a semester in the Middle East and then West Africa. And it was, it kind of introduced me to a whole other world, um, studied history and then ended up in Haiti right after university, uh, working in human rights. And I was sort of seconded as part of a, a larger international development agency. And anyway, long story short, um, my, my world shifted from sort of farming and picking corn to more working with people and thinking more internationally and globally. And um, the actual work for probably 13, 14 years at this larger international development agency was uh, sort of a mix of program and communications and fundraising and a whole bunch of different things. And it wasn't all planned out, but in the end, what happened was it it led to a whole series of different skill sets and interests that by the time the Matthew House job came up, uh, I guess it's about five years ago, um, it just sort of fit. There was a huge, significant alignment um, between what Matthew House needed from an executive director and from what I was interested in, and also I think had built the skills to be able to fit into. So uh, that's a bit of a, yeah, like I said, kind of a meandering journey to get there, but uh, it's been fun. And I, I'm really 
I just love the work I'm doing at Matheos now. Uh, that's awesome. And I think what that tells me about you is what's what we call a fortunate accident uh, that you ended up in this line of work, but it shows you have great work ethic and we need that definitely in the sector. There's a lot of work to do um, and I can see the fit, right? International development, great work ethic lands you in the work that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Matthew House. Uh, tell me a little bit, bit about it. It's located in Ottawa. What do you guys do? What are you up to? Yeah, Matthew House Ottawa started, it's a local charity. We started in 2010 um, and it was launched by a number of people who had volunteered with uh, Matthew House in Toronto. So there's actually four Matthew Houses in Ontario and they all uh, sort of developed out of uh, the Matthew House Toronto charity that I think maybe they're 20, almost 25 years ago that was founded by a woman named Anne Wolger. And she essentially had been working in, emergency shelters and recognizing a growing need for um, services specifically to refugee claimants who were ending up in the shelters and weren't getting access to the supports that they needed. So long story short is people who had involved in Matthews in Toronto ended up moving to Ottawa and they came to the city and saw the same gap, the same needs and no one really feeling it. There was no real services and expertise directed to refugee claimants. So um, that organization was founded 2010 and then the furniture bank which was started and i'll tell you more about that in a second but uh separately and then kind of merged into the organization so we have two programs um for the last 10 years or so the furniture bank and refugee services um so the refugee services program is the one that was modeled after matthew house in toronto and um it's very similar and i'll, I'll maybe just talk briefly about the furniture bank. I think most of our conversation will probably end up being around the refugee services program, but um, the furniture bank is super interesting as well. It essentially fills the gap. If you think about housing, people talk about housing and obviously that's like the main challenge for people who have been homeless. And you're, it's obviously a big part of the what you guys are thinking about, but there's also this massive problem. If someone does get access to housing, affordable housing, say, um that's amazing you get the keys you enter your new apartment and it is completely empty uh for many people especially um families uh moving out of homelessness women fleeing violence uh, for many newcomers you that is a huge hurdle it can be five six seven thousand dollars huge logistical challenge to actually furnish that home and so what our furniture bank program does is we take referrals from um 60 70 different agencies including the city of ottawa itself for people who have access who, who now have housing so they're housed or they will be housed uh, but their home is often empty kids sleeping on the floor there's nowhere to eat uh, so we are that whole program provides sort of like a shopping experience a dignified experience for people to come in choose their furniture and then we deliver it the next day and it's i would say uh, yeah just something that kind of you could say is missed within the broader conversation around housing homelessness and we try to fill that gap here in ottawa so in terms of scope and scale just to give you a sense i think it's about uh last year we furnished 1040 homes in ottawa so uh it'll probably be about 100 a month on average this year 1200 plus homes um the demand is probably twice that in the sense of what we could do if we had the capacity but it's um as you can imagine logistically it's a huge amount of work and we just need a little bit more space uh, to be able to do more um maybe i'll quickly say something about our refugee services program then you can drill me with questions as well but uh the refugee services um 
essentially is uh, the short version is a bed, food, and settlement support specifically for refugee claimants who are homeless, who have landed in Ottawa, uh, but don't have anyone else to support them. And um, the sh I guess the short version in terms of like figuring out where refugee claimants uh, fall in the system is we have uh, a refugee uh, system mostly related to private sponsorship and government-sponsored refugees. And all of those would be processed uh, overseas by the UNHCR. Uh, the federal government approves their uh, coming to Canada. All the paperwork sorted out. There's system of like financial and other supports for the first year after arrival. Um, there is zero almost zero, which we will get into, I'm sure, very soon in our conversation. But there's nothing like that. There's no program. There's no coordination uh, for people who arrive and make a claim uh, for asylum in Canada. So um, that's who we serve. It's it's kind of the opposite of Furniture Bank, where we serve anyone who's referred, anyone who has that need with the refugee services side. It's only uh, refugee claimants. And the reason for that sort of specificity, you could say, in terms of demographic is that's just a massive gap uh, in the current sort of system and services that are offered. And we recognize that in terms of homelessness and uh, needs in the community, it's one of the areas that is underserved, but also, I would say, the most successful outcomes once we do provide the services that are needed for, uh, in particular, for refugee claimant. Um, so we can we can drill into that. But the last thing I'll say is, uh, just to give a sense of the so scope and sort of scale again of what we do on that side, we have uh, 11 homes uh, and about 75 to 79 beds. It depends on on how many beds we have in some rooms at any given time, but you could say 75 beds. And typically uh, a resident who joins that program would stay with us for about five months until um, they've submitted their claim, they've got a work permit, uh, we've helped them secure employment and longer term housing. So, um, yeah, that's I mean, we can drill into any of those areas, but that's a bit of an overview of those two programs and what we do at Matthew House. Well, yeah, thank you so much for that. And I thank you for talking about the Furniture Bank as well. And again, that word dignity comes up. And I think we forget about that, that I mean, we're so busy sometimes. The cost of housing is so high that we finally get someone into housing and it's pat on the back, job done. But, you know, number one, you've got to create community around them to make a stay. And, and, you know, I'm sure Matthew House plays a part in that. But the furniture piece, people forget about, you know, that, that doesn't just come out of thin air. And you're right, the challenges around furniture banks, is even if you want to do more, it's about storage, right? There's cost there. There's where do you get it, the transportation of it all. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, but you're right. And that those amounts, the, the number of homes you furnished, in the past year that's incredible and, and thank you for that and it's, it's mind-boggling um, let's talk a little bit we, you know you started discussing uh the, the migrant piece and i'll tell you so blue door where we're at it's a very interesting conversation um and what we've seen across the country is that it's fantastic our government has said we want to welcome refugees or you know we're a country that's open that it makes me very proud to be canadian however Bit of a lack of a plan and we could talk more about that but what i've seen at blue door what the team told me a while ago i'll go around and talk to my different teams and say what's changed what's new uh recently our family emergency housing program said we are getting so many new migrants uh refugees coming in their needs are different you talked a little bit about that where there's different needs to get them moving forward 
and you helped break that down. Thank you for that as well, the process. Uh, they also said, but a different type of individual as well, like really motivated, really wanting to move through, where many times when we're working with people, there's some severe trauma, and there's also trauma, I think, with people um, fleeing different countries, but there's mental health addictions, uh, different issues there, right? And, and, and so that could kind of beat down on people's hope. It's a little different type of service uh, where they're saying the newcomers are really raring to go, but in your traditional program like Blue Doors, we lack the experience, we lack the services that they need. We feel like mm -hmm. we're failing these individuals. Uh, and so that's why it's so fascinating that, that Matthew House is doing this work. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what's happening in Canada right now, uh, what you're seeing, um, and uh, where some of the challenges are. Yeah, in terms of migration, I mean, broadly speaking, I think there's a recognition that migration is essential and will be increasingly important for Canada. So that's, I don't think there's a huge amount of disagreement on that front. One of the things that's interesting, and this is kind of as it relates to refugee claimants, and I'll circle back to this, but I think largely due to the fact that Canada geographically has been, you know, in many ways quite isolated from uh, global migration and over time, other than, again, through the refugee sponsorship, when we sort of say, okay, you're arriving now and here's here's who's coming in. We, we've had this idea that migration happens on, in a controlled bureaucratic process. And we're the ones, you know, as Canada, the government decides when and how many are, uh, people are coming. What we've seen the last while is an increase in the number and movement of forced migrants, and in particular, refugee claimants coming to Canada. It's not a huge number globally, but last year, just to give a sense, it's 90, I think it was 92,000 and uh, maybe a few hundred more than that, that came as refugee claimants to Canada. Uh, about half of them irregularly. So this is relates to some of the discussion around Roxham Road and then that that uh, border, that stretch of the border being closed. So temporarily, I think we'll see a, a drop and we have seen a drop in the arrivals of refugee claimants. But over time, it's quite likely that Canada will see an increasing number of refugee claimants who arrive, make a claim. And as you mentioned, there's really, there's currently no, there's no plan in place for what we do when they arrive. We have a plan and for fit five decades, for instance, on the sponsorship side, um, there was a model that was developed called private sponsorship where communities were kind of working with the federal government to support refugees who arrived and that I would say program was so successful that other countries have even come to Canada to learn about that. There is nothing like that for refugee claimants. Um, but the interesting thing is now the numbers have sort of got to the point where there's many more refugee claimants arriving. It's still a small number of the total uh, migrants, but if you don't have a plan for someone, they arrive in the country, they make a claim, there's a really high risk of that person being homeless. And that's exactly, you know, as it relates to Matthews, this is exactly who we work with because the way it works right now is Canada's made commitments to giving someone a fair hearing if they arrive and make a claim. But that's kind of it. There's really nothing on the other side of that sort of like, okay, well, you you will have a chance to make, you know, make your claim to the Immigration Refugee Board. Sometimes it can take five years more than that for that claim to be processed. So the question then is, well, what happens 
from that day of arrival until five years later. I mean, it's not always five years, but you can see how this can become a problem. So this shelter system gets overloaded at a, at a local level, like in Ottawa, a big part of the growth and homelessness uh, that's been seen here. And I think this is probably the case in a lot of cities, you know, Toronto and Montreal, ho the homeless population that's most growing the demographic is refugee claimants and other, and some other newcomers. Um, and so then the, the sort of cost to the system and the sector kind of get spread out. And so you don't really notice it in the same way that you would, if you look at like what it costs to welcome a refugee uh, that's sponsored or family that's sponsored because it's being sort of scattered and just the pe the pieces are being picked up by grassroots community organizations and other nonprofits. Um, so it's, it is a huge problem. I think what's happened the last number of decades is that a lot of the organizations like Matthew House, you know, Matthew House in Toronto, there's organizations across the country that are doing similar work and they have picked up the pieces enough. There was enough capacity for you know, the even tens of thousands sometimes of refugee claimants arriving. But all of a sudden, if that number doubles and there's 92,000, you know, IRCC started busing uh, refugee claimants across uh, Ontario, Eastern Canada, outside of uh, Quebec, because there was just all this, the services were being overwhelmed because there's no plan. So, I mean, we can dig into this in terms of what, <laughs> what uh, I would propose as being some next steps on that, but you can just hopefully see just at the beginning of of this the challenges when you start to get large numbers of people when there's no plan for what to do with them um, so those are some of the challenges on the just real basic level and if you don't mind i'll just highlight a couple more things but i think one of the challenges at the federal level that we're seeing is there's a politicization of refugee claimants um you know i think every few years you start to hear the term q jumpers being thrown around in the media uh, politicians will start using certain terms to rile up their base. Um, that is a, a, a real concern because what happens is there's real misunderstandings within the general population of who is sort of a legitimate refugee. And the fact is there is a, 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 an avenue for people who come and make a claim in Canada to be a refugee. That's not, I don't think, quite understood by a lot of people. Another concern that I think at the federal level we see is that the feds sort of don't want to touch the a program or welcoming refugee claimants because they're concerned about pulling additional people beyond who would already come. And I think there's some uh, validity to that concern. It's something that would have to be considered. But I think it hides and doesn't really address the, the bigger issue of the fact that there are 103 million uh, forced migrants around the world, increasing mobility. And so likely, regardless of poll, we're going to see more refugee claimants arriving. So you, the idea of saying, well, we're not going to do anything because we don't want to pull more people. You still then have, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 people that you have to figure out what to do with. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll stop there because I don't want to <laughs> go down too many rabbit holes before you drill down on any of the questions you want to focus on. But those are a few things that I see as uh, challenges at the moment. No, no, they are they are big challenges. We uh, I remember going back about a year and a half ago, we had an individual uh, on the show. It was a great story. Uh, he was uh, at school in the, in the States and was to go back to his country after he got his master's. And, and meanwhile, war broke out in his country. Uh, and, and he was if he went back, he was going to be pulled into that. And he didn't want to. And he told the story of going to the border 
had. He was totally took a cab to the border the, and walked across, and he thought, here's where I get shot. Um, that was his kind of thought where, and the, the Canadian guard walked up to him, told him what was going to happen if he stepped over. He said, you'll be, uh, and then he was welcomed into our country. And he said, he just couldn't believe that military was actually friendly and he was given a sandwich and taken care of. But then after that, he was put on a bus and into Toronto and into the youth shelter system. And, and he just couldn't believe how long it took him to work through that process on his yeah. own without really understanding what the heck was going on. So that immediate feeling of, I'm in Canada, wow, what a welcoming country, then losing hope as you go through the system. And I, I, I don't have a home. This is a scary space. I don't understand so many things happening around me. I don't understand the system, that kind of thing. So, you know, it was, it was interesting hearing and wasn't bitter. Well, like he was just telling me the, the facts. Uh, it was interesting to, uh, to understand that. And the challenges too, I, I hear from the sector, we're saying, hey, look, we already have, you know, in, in uh, the GTA right now, we have 100,000 people or more on a waiting list for housing. And now we're adding more people to that. And I love what you were saying there about, we're like, oh, hold off. We, we have to take care of the people that are already facing a housing crisis. Why are we adding more? And you're saying that's, you know, this is going to happen <laughs> regardless. We have to plan for this and, and not just say we're going to stop because that's not really an option. Uh, let's talk about, help me understand and our listeners, uh, someone uh, is lands at the door of Matthew House. What happens from there? Yeah, so what what often happens in terms of, maybe I'll say how they get to the door in the first place. Typically they get referred by uh, caseworkers in the shelter system or the city of Ottawa. So someone finds out there's a refugee claimant in their shelter, they're newly arrived. The best place for them is Matthew House or a similar organization. So they'll call and say, hey, do you have any beds? Um, a couple of years ago, we had one house and eight beds. So mostly the answer was no, unfortunately, we don't have a bed. But we've been, you know, I'd say fairly quickly trying to expand our services because we recognize kind of like what you just described with your friend, like people arrive, they're typically kind of in limbo unless they end up with someone who has an awareness of what those steps are and, or at least can direct them to an organization like a Matthews Ottawa who knows what to do they're often in limbo and they're stuck because it's quite complex. Even for someone who grew up in Canada, speaks English or French, you know, because you can get documents in either. But say you speak English or French fluently, you're familiar with all of the things technologically, um, you're smart, you're educated. It is very confusing and it's changing all the time. Literally the government in the last few months probably three times have changed the process, the sort of beginning process for how to submit a claim. It's, it's really crazy making. So you can imagine uh, you're, you're traumatized. Uh, you may not speak English or French. Um, there's all sorts of barriers. And then you have to do this right. If you don't do the first steps right, then you might actually mess things up for your claim You know, years from now when it's processed. But long story short, how we get people at Matthew House we take referrals. Once they arrive at our door, we do sort of like a full-blown personal check-in interview um, to decide whether someone needs our services. Because worst case scenario is we fill our beds with people who don't actually 
need what we have to offer. So ideally for us, it's someone who's very new and they need a lot of the settlement support, not just a bed and food, but they need a lot of the settlement support kind of from the beginning. So you need to connect connected to a lawyer, you need to get legal aid, submit your claim, get on Ontario Works, um, get a work permit, find a job, like all those steps. And there's a lot of stuff in between. If someone doesn't have if they, the hand holding that they need through that whole process, again, likely kind of in limbo. And if you get stuck, there's it's hard to get unstuck. And so unless you get really lucky. Um, and so you can picture kind of going back to the comment about 92,000 plus refugee claimants. Um, you know, we have 75 beds. If people stay four or five months, then you can imagine we can serve a couple hundred. There's organizations across the country that can do the same. But the numbers are so far beyond what the capacity is for people with expertise to support refugee claimants. So this is, I know I'm kind of going back to that sort of broader challenge, but I think it's important for people to understand because what happens is limbo, potentially chronic homelessness, stuck in the shelter system, that is bad for everyone. And going back to your comment about, you know, just accepting reality, I would say regardless of your politics, regardless of how much you care about people, refugees, like, this is a reality There's people, what are we going to do with them? And even at the most sort of basic level, even if you only want to look at it in terms of like, you know, economy and jobs and things, and I'm obviously that's not where it stops for me. It's a good thing to have a refugee claimant, not be in homelessness, not be stuck in limbo, get a work permit, starting, uh, start working. There are businesses all across the country that just need people to be working. So at the, even at the most basic sort of economic level, it's a good thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, the last thing I'll say on this before I come back to you, your other questions is what we see is a very high success rate. And it, this is you made a comment about this sort of highly motivated people who once they get the support that they need, they're on their way. And that's what we see. Almost everyone who comes through our program, once they leave, they might check in with us every couple of months, every once, you know, maybe sometimes even once a year or something like that. But they're mostly sustaining themselves, working, contributing their communities until their claim is processed. And most of them will stay in Canada permanently anyway. And so the best case scenario is right at the beginning, right when they arrive, get them out of homelessness on a path of sustaining themselves. And that's everything. All that we do is essentially to get people out on that out of the homelessness path and onto uh, sustaining themselves and contributing to their new communities. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, I hear you on that. The, the quicker we do it, if we can't get them on that path right away, everyone wins. And, and you started touching on this, and, and I know quite often we hear in the news that we've got this massive labor shortage across the country. We need to bring in um, new people. Let's talk about, we talked about challenges. There are many, but what are the opportunities? Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, ultimately, the way I see it is, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's not even that much more than that. Like, we we need people, Canada needs 
uh, immigrate immigrants. So that's that's almost. A, I don't think there's many people that would say you know shut the borders down completely. We don't need we don't need people. I think the numbers I heard recently is you know we want a half half a million uh, migrants uh, per year. And interestingly, with refugee claimants, what we find is many, if not most, of the refugee claimants who arrive are quite highly skilled, quite highly educated, and so it's it's not just a situation where. And I think even on the basis of just compassionate, um, you know, supporting people who need help, I think there's arguments there 100%. But if you go beyond there, it doesn't take long. If someone's motivated, they're highly skilled, highly educated to really quickly um, have people contributing. Like, so one example that I'll give in terms of where we've seen this is we've started um, a year ago, sort of as an enhancement to our refugee services program and a connection to our furniture bank. We created a training, education and training program um, at Matthew House where what we provide is sort of like, uh, I think it was 13 weeks of paid living wage employment at our furniture bank. And we had people coming through of the 13 participants last year, 11 completed the program. And I think 10 of the 11 of them were employed almost immediately after the program. Some of them were working in the federal government. Uh, one of them's working with Deloitte, like he had worked with Deloitte in West Africa and now he's in Deloitte in Canada. Like it's, it's an incredible contribution almost immediately. It's not like, oh, uh, next generation, you're gonna have kids and they're going to be doctors and lawyers and whatever else. It's like, no, next month <laughs> you're going to get your work permit and then you're going to have a job and you're going to be part of the community contributing. Like, I think it's, yeah, I just, it's very, it's almost like, I don't want to say a no brainer because I realize we have to talk through these things, but it's, it's an immediate benefit to our community here in Ottawa for everyone who comes through the program. So I don't want to oversimplify it, but I would say it's like, from what we can see, it's, you know, lower cost than the alternatives if people get stuck in homelessness it's better outcomes on almost every level and it's very short to get from homelessness to not homeless and sustaining themselves so i don't know i i feel like when i talk like this it's almost sounds too simple but it it's it's really this is what we see this is what we see every day No, and listen, I mean, I, I was talking uh, with my team today, uh, even in our sector, and I don't know if it's the same at Matthew House, we've got a huge labor shortage, social services sector, every sector right now. Uh, if everyone who is working that could work in Canada uh, went to work, uh, we still wouldn't have enough. There'd still be vacancies. It's, it's, I think um, our my HR director said uh, she had heard it is the uh, highest um, vacancy rate the country's ever had right in, mm -hmm. in, in our labor force so a huge there's big challenges there's also huge uh, opportunities uh what has to change what, what what do you think what is the plan moving forward if we're going to do this and do this right what is the path forward yeah actually can i if you don't mind i'm just going to answer or going to add one comment to the previous the discussion around the hr challenges because one of the benefits that i I didn't mention that we saw specifically at Mathhouse, and I'll, I'll come back to your next question. But we, when we started that training program, we were looking at it as benefiting the refugee claimants coming through our, our program. But what we've also seen is that many of the people who come through the program have enjoyed their opportunity to work at Mathhouse. And when there are jobs that come up there, they apply and they're getting hired. So we're actually benefiting from 
our residents then becoming employed and contributing at our furniture bank program, which maybe that's obvious and I, I should have seen that that was a possibility, but, but that's not why we created the program, but it's been a huge uh, contribution then. So we have people who are new to Canada, we're homeless within months working at our furniture bank, helping to furnish the homes of other newcomers and other families who are homeless. It's just crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just love that. And I, you know, that's another thing we see that just, I, it's benefiting us a lot as well as, as Matthew House. Now coming back to the other question, I think the way I would, what has to change, I kind of going back to the earlier part of our discussion in terms of the paradigm, I think I don't want to over, you know, state this or repeat myself, but I just think we do need to open our minds and shift the paradigm to an idea that there will be a certain number of people who are going to arrive on their own terms um, as refugee claimants. And, you know, if we want half a million migrants each year, then let's assume that 50,000, 60, whatever, 100,000 will be asylum seekers who arrive, who we will give a fair chance to have a hearing. And if, if that's the number, let's just build it into our assumptions. They're migrants. Some of them will not stay permanently. Many of them will. So I would just adapt our uh, expectations in terms of numbers to assume a realistic number of refugee claimants arriving. I don't think that's actually super hard to do. We just have never been willing to even consider that as being a part of our the way we look at things. So that's a, at a super high level. I think that's um that's needed i would also say we need a basic model and it's not necessarily similar to refugee sponsorship because it's not going to look like that per se but just the concept of a model a program some kind of a coordination around how do we support a refugee claimant when they arrive because right now what happens is people are often ending up in the shelters or maybe they are not homeless but they they go to settlement agencies and other organizations that really don't have the expertise, don't know how to support them. And so there has to be successful models that scale up enough to be able to handle the capacity of refugee claimants arriving in the country. So here's an example kind of recently of some challenges that we saw. And obviously with the Roxham Road border being shut down and adjustments to safe third country agreement, which we probably won't have to get into, but long story short, there's a reduction in the number of asylum seekers who are coming, at least temporarily, but there's still gonna be you know, 50, 60,000 people coming. What are we gonna do with them? Temporarily, the last six months, IRCC was busing refugee claimants to different parts of the country. Some were outing and have ended up even in Halifax, um, in Niagara, in Windsor, here in Ottawa, I think in Cornwall, there's probably like almost a thousand people. I don't know, maybe 800 or something. But unless they get the settlement support that they need, unless they give that people who actually know how to support them, they're probably going to be in the hotels for an extended period of time. They're going to be stuck in limbo. We have the same problem we talked about. So we really need to just accept that there are numbers of refugee claimants coming. What are we going to do? Matthew House is one example. There are a lot of other organizations that do this around the country. But up until now, there has been zero support financially or otherwise to help these organizations do their work and or scale up um, the work that's needed. And I don't think that's going to sustain us. That's not going to work going forward. So, you know, one of the things I, I really do think that the feds uh, have to take on 
is an acceptance that there needs to be some support, some model. It, maybe it starts off with some pilot projects, but there there needs to be an acceptance that this is something that the, the federal government has to take leadership on. Currently, what happens is um, there's sort of jurisdictional um, challenges where the feds say, well, this is a provincial issue, housing's provincial, or you know, the province might point to the municipality and say, well, this is your problem. So no one has really taken any leadership. There's, there's a lot of finger pointing and sort of saying, well, that's your problem. That can't go on. And ultimately, if we're going to deal with this in any sort of a reasonable way uh, for the next decades to come, we have to just from now say, okay, we need to do something. Let's sit down, accept the new reality, look for programs that are successful. I mean, I think, as you know, I think Matthew House is a great example, but there are a lot of organizations that do this work. Let's find those, scale them up to the point where reasonably when people arrive in the country, we can actually, instead of just busting them to a hotel and hoping for the best, no, if we have the capacity, you could send someone to Matthew House, for instance, right? They don't even have to go to the shelter. And that's, I mean, this is a little bit different in terms of what your question was, but I want to say for me, my vision for Matthew House in Ottawa is we have enough beds that every refugee claimant who arrives in Ottawa gets diverted before they even end up on the streets or in a shelter. They come to us because we have the capacity, we have the expertise to support them and really quickly go through our program, get to a point where they're sustaining themselves, they move out, and then we do the same thing for the next. There's there's zero reason why that's not possible. We just have to have a willingness uh, for the federal government and ideally municipalities and provinces as well to come together and say, yeah, this is a problem. We have to do something about it. We haven't, <laughs> I think there's a recognition that there's a problem, but there hasn't got to the point where we're like, we have to do something about it. So that's a bit of a long answer to your question, but I think those are some starting points for me. Well, I think sometimes what happens too is that we kind of fold a lot of different issues into one where we'll say, hey, we have a housing crisis. Well, part of that housing crisis is we have a refugee crisis in a sense that as we've talked about, the plan's not there, right? Now, now, and when you talk about government too, I don't, you know, would you agree or disagree that an invest, it's actually an investment because if you put the resources into scaling what you're doing, you're going to save a, a ton of money on the back end, would you not, from shelters, from healthcare, from all these different things and people slide into the system. Uh, if you do it the Matthew House way, I'm going to call it that, where people are thriving because they're getting what they need they're getting the jobs right away. They're getting steady incomes. They're not relying on the system. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, let's let's just do some like back of the napkin calculations here. And obviously, this this is not going to be exact, but it gets an idea, I think, quickly at what you're saying. The sort of like ten x, ten to one, uh, you know, for every dollar invested. This you could say social return on investment. But aside yeah. from even the social benefits, just the actual savings in in purely financial terms. Um, in Ottawa, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's somewhere, you know, around $70 a night per person. I think the province maybe covers 44 a night, but say say it's $50 a night and a shelter. So $1,500 a month just for the shelter. Um, there's no, you're, someone's usually stuck in limbo. So let's assume an average stay uh, for a chronic homeless person. It could be many months, maybe six, 10 months. So we're starting to get to the point where just the homeless shelter costs can be in the tens of thousands of dollars, right? And there's a lot of other things, health, um, other resources that are drawn on. 
the, the quality of that person's life is likely going down for every additional night they're in a shelter, emergency shelter. Whereas for us, I think we've sort of landed on an average cost of less than $1,000 per person right now. That's a bed, food, and all the settlements that support. So say they stay five months, that's $5,000. We've permanently diverted likely to the vast majority of the people who come through our program, permanently diverted from homelessness. They've got a job, they're working, they're paying taxes. <laughs> they're, they're helping businesses that need workers. So, I mean, the, 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 the sort of the directional difference on the chronic homeless path, the limbo versus the path of someone who comes through a program like ours, it's just mind boggling. I would say, I don't know, 10 to one, 20 to one, like, could it be 50? Like, I don't know. Like, how, how would you actually calculate those numbers? But it, it's super obvious to me that any investment in refugee claimants is probably one of the lower cost anywhere in the homeless uh, sector. And I don't, I, can't, I don't know. Is it, is it the best place to invest a dollar the federal government has? I don't know. Like, I, I just can't imagine there being a better, much better deal out there. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, there's a huge economic, aside from everything you just said, the savings on the back end, if they slide into homelessness, it's they're going to get, they're going to contribute to the economy if they're working quicker, if they're paying rent, if they're doing like all that stuff, it makes sense. So there's a huge kind of economic argument, aside from like the human argument of everyone, if we're going to recognize housing as a human right, let's do that as soon as possible and make it as easy as, as possible uh, moving forward. Uh, it's incredible work that you do. But just hypothetically, if someone uh, opened up the vault to Matthew, you know, it's like what I assume from what you told me, you're 100% full all the time. Uh, what do you think? Would, would like what? How big could you get to uh, meet the need? Like how big do you need to get? Do you think? Well, yeah, and let me, maybe I should I should have probably done this at the beginning, but let me just say a couple of words about our model, how it currently. So what we what we do, everything's sort of in a family style atmosphere so we currently are growing through renting homes we at matthew house we take the lease and then we have residents that come through our program they contribute rent to us if they can although we don't that's not a barrier to our service so when someone first arrives they're homeless they don't have any way of paying so they come in they don't pay rent for a couple months once they get their claim submitted they get ontario works then we start getting a little bit of rent i think it's 500 a month or something uh, approximately that we charge. So it doesn't cover our cost, but it might cover half the cost. But regardless of that, that percentage, what we do is every chance that we can get a house, as long as mostly we can see ourselves covering the cost um, through uh, some grants and fundraising and other things we do, we'll rent it because we know that we can fill that house next week. Like it's the demand is just so high for what we're doing. And the outcomes are so good <laughs> that it's almost like crazy not to keep expanding. And I, it sounds, expanding is not the right word because it's not like growth for growth's sake. It's really just that there's this massive need and no one is really meeting it. There's just so few organizations and people that are doing this work. And so kind of answering your question, I guess, how far could we go? Like if we have 4,000 or say, say we have 2,000 refugee claimants arriving in Ottawa. I think it's you know more than that, but just for the sake of uh, the, the thought experiment here. So 2,000 refugee claimants arrive a year. If our average stay uh, is four months, then every bed we can turn over three times. 
So then 2,000 divided by three, 833 or 66, whatever number that is. So say 850 beds. Um, so right now we have 75. So we would need to grow 10 times bigger than we are now. And then in theory, as long as the numbers don't keep going up, then every single person who arrives as a refugee claimant in Ottawa could come to Matthew House. Now, the good news is there are other organizations, a few that are doing this, and we're trying to encourage them to continue to expand as well. But I guess my point in saying that is that it's actually very doable. A house a month for us adds, you know, five to 10 beds. So I don't know, give us five years and we probably could be there. And because of the fact that we are able to fundraise, we're able to get grants, um, we are able to get some rent um, once people get on, on OW, the numbers actually are pretty manageable. Um, and I say that in the context of, you know, we're actively fundraising and writing grants. So it's not, it's not like we just sit back and um, things just work out like it's a lot of work. But what we found is our model is very sustainable. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't see why across the country we couldn't do the same thing. It's, it's a simple enough model. It's a, we can train other people to do this. There's no reason why we shouldn't have Matthew House type models in every city, family style atmosphere spread around in different neighborhoods. It's not a big sort of refugee claimant ghetto anywhere. It's just family, welcome, safe for a few months until people get on their feet. And it's very doable. And if the feds, especially if they supported this, um, which I know, obviously, you know, I think they should, but I would say beyond just the current government, and I have had conversations with some in the conservative uh, party about this as well, because I actually think any political party who's in charge, so say it's conservatives in two years, whatever, there's an argument for them to do this work regardless of what they think about refugee claimants in general or welcoming refugees for purely humanitarian needs. There's an argument here financially, economically, for businesses that I think we can make for any government. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can. And I, I think I need to talk to you about uh, Matthew House expansion in the New York region because we, we don't have that. It, it, we have organizations that kind of your typical uh, organization like Blue Door working uh, with the 1.1 million people in the, in the community across the region. But they're sent south into Toronto, which is an hour, hour and a half away for all their needs. Um, and they want to reside in the New York region, right? We don't have it. So I'll, I'll, we'll talk more. You are doing incredible work. And we've heard maybe growth of 10 times to meet the need. If people want to help you try and meet that need, if they want to find out more about Matthew House, where do they go? How can they help? Yeah, well, I mean, I think probably the best place for people to go, if you search Matthew House Ottawa um, in your browser or MatthewHouseOttawa.org, um, we'll take you to the website. My contact information is there. Um, I don't know what you'll share with the notes, but feel free to put my LinkedIn or my email. Uh, any of that stuff is fine. So if anyone wants to learn more about this model and wants to chat further, please just don't hesitate to reach out with me. Um, I am super, as you can hopefully tell, very passionate about this. And um, I just, you know, I, I just so uh, believe that Maybe I'll go back and because you mentioned humanitarian, we've talked about the sort of financial, the, the economic, the humanitarian. I think the assumption is, and anyone who's concerned about homelessness and refugees, there's a there's a humanitarian base there. But I think that's really interesting about this particular population is it goes so much far beyond that, right? It's not just like we're asking the government to do good. 
this makes so much sense on so many levels. So for people who do want to learn more, if they want to start Matthew Houses or other organizations doing this type of work, I can also connect you depending on where you are in the country. There are other organizations that we partner with and that we're sort of sister charities with that we can uh, introduce you to as well. So, um, but you know, we, for people who want to support this work, we welcome the support. Everything, most of what we do is based on uh, the fundraising capacity that uh, we're able to, uh, you know, the funds that we're able to raise. So uh, we do welcome the support. And, you know, I just want to say thanks, Michael, as well, for <laughs> your interest in this. Like, I know, um, I don't know, I think I don't want to sort of categorize newcomers and refugees and homeless people and sort of say, oh, this is more important. But I think refugee claimants really for many, many decades now have sort of just been below the radar for most people. And I think it's time that that is no longer the case. So I just appreciate that you're willing to sort of give us some time to talk about, you know, Matthews obviously, but just more generally uh, the needs of refugee claimants, but also as you've talked about the opportunities uh, before us, because um, yeah, I think it's, I think the time has come for us to really tackle this as uh, Canada, I guess you could say. Uh, absolutely. It's an important conversation, Alan. I want to thank you and your team at Matthew House for all you're doing to help the hundreds of people, thousands of people over the years that you have. Uh, it's so important and it's a conversation we need to have. Uh, listen, you know, we're doing some things right. We got to get better um, if we're going to make this work on a larger scale, right? And moving forward. Thank you so much for your time, your efforts. I encourage our listeners uh, check out Matthew House Ottawa. Uh, put in your browser, Google them up. Uh, talk with Alan if you want at Matthew House in your community, or want to learn about others who might be doing that work nearby or in your community. And, and you know, give to the cause. Um, you heard what Alan said; they could grow ten times the size. I don't think he wants to do that tomorrow, but he would encourage growth because hey, great things happen. Win, 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 win. Awesome to have you on, Alan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 